Welcome to this podcast of the Grazia Dio Business Review. This is Audra Quinn, Managing Editor of the GBR, and I'm here today with Craig Wilson, co-founder of Blux, a full services branding and strategy consultancy, and Twist Creative Consulting. Thanks for joining us today, Craig. Uh, it's great to be here. Thanks. Well, we are very honored to have the collective experience of Craig and his co-author, who is our very own Dr. Michael Crook, featured in the most recent issue of the Grazio Business Review in their article entitled, Creating Advocates, a Values-Oriented Approach to Developing Brand Loyalty. And this article explains how to create brand advocates and forge a more long-term, sustainable competitive advantage. You can find the article in Volume 14, Issue 3 of the Grazio Business Review, which is online at gbr.pepperdine.com. Edu. So without further ado, um, let's kind of just start with your background, Craig. Um, I know you've been called a loyalty architect, which I think is a, a great title. And you have an incredible amount of experience building brands such as Kiel, Seventh Generation, Patagonia, Prana, and many others. So can you kind of just share a little bit about how you got into this whole branding strategy game? Yeah, well, I've always been um, fascinated with how people respond to information and, uh, and brands. And uh, I oddly started out uh, starting a theater production company actually exactly 21 years ago today. Oh, really? Uh, Happy yeah, anniversary. No, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, November 2nd, uh, 1990, uh, we launched a little theater company. And that was actually my first experience with having to take a uh, an offer or an idea and express it to people in a way that uh, that it would resonate with them and uh, ever since then it's been uh, it's been kind of a fascination with me and then when I was lucky enough to go to Patagonia back in 1998 uh, and work there that was uh, you know that was sort of landing in in the ideal world uh, from from a loyalty and branding uh, perspective that was uh, that was a great place to be to uh, to learn more about it. So those mm-hmm. were my first two early experiences with it. Very good. Yeah, and Patagonia is, of course, an incredible brand and is the subject of the paper that you and Michael wrote. So how did you actually connect with Michael on this paper? Well, Michael was the CEO at Patagonia, and I was actually running the direct business there. And so we collaborated on a lot of the work that's actually – uh, described in the paper and the concepts that are in the paper uh, while we were both there. Um, Michael left, and a year after he left, I left, and I went uh, my way, and he went his. And uh, I spent uh, those those following years uh, consulting with uh, several of the brands that you described and, and others as well. And while I was at Patagonia, we really had quite a challenge uh, because the the environment there, uh, Patagonia was selling through five sales channels, and coordinated marketing and branding uh, across those five channels was a little bit tricky. We had a lot of different agendas and different ideas, and the thing that really uh, brought focus to that was understanding how and why the customer found Patagonia to be such a fascinating brand and to become uh, fanatically connected with the company. So uh, that experience while I was at Patagonia with Michael, um, I took out into the world and started to consult. And I saw a lot of the same experiences happening in, uh, in other venues with other brands. And uh, over that period of time, I started to put together a body of work about loyalty that I felt was quite unique. And 
Michael then, you know, pursued his uh, his advanced education and ended up at Pepperdine, mm-hmm. and um, and teaching, and his work and my work kind of parallel or complement one another. And he invited me actually to come back and teach a class, and uh, and I did, and then that was uh, sort of the the uh, origination of the idea to write a paper about it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right, so um, kind of delving into the paper itself, you talk a lot about authentic purpose in the paper. Um, maybe for listeners, you could kind of define what authentic purpose is to you and why this is such an important factor in trying to create loyal customers. Sure. Well, um, we as individuals all have purpose in our lives, and and you know that's a that's quite a varying topic. Um, and organizations and brands and uh, companies also, for the most part, have purpose. Some of them are singularly driven, and others have have causes that they are in business to promote. And when individuals in their lives have have something that's meaningful to them that drives their lifestyle, uh, we as as people look out to the world to find uh, organizations and companies and brands and and other entities that are maybe larger than us, that maybe have a larger impact on the planet than we can as individuals. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes creates a, a, a bond between a, an individual and a larger organization. And this, this authentic purpose, another way to describe it, I guess, is, is sort of transcendent purpose. And it allows that relationship between an individual and a larger entity allows that individual to express that purpose or achieve something that maybe they don't feel that they can achieve on as great a level as they can without that connection to that larger entity. And sometimes that occurs between product brands uh, or service brands, uh, not just uh, sort of cause-related organizations or political parties or religious affiliations or things like that. So. Uh, that's that's uh, that becomes the basis of that relationship. Yeah, interesting. It's kind of cool to apply that to your personal life too. I mean, you know, not just for business, but in your personal life, if you don't have an authentic purpose, perhaps that's something you should kind of think about. And interesting to apply that to the business side as well. Yeah, I think um, I think we go through our lives with, you know, some people are very driven by that and, and others it's more of a subtlety or an underlying thing in their mm-hmm. lives. Uh, but it's interesting uh, working with the various brands that I've been lucky to work with over the years, I see that connection happen. And it happens sometimes in an overt way and sometimes it's very, very subtle or very nuanced. And it may not even be something that the individual can describe uh, outwardly, uh, but it's definitely something that is that kind of pulls them to that, and uh, and it happens. It's it's a very powerful draw. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, I think uh, the people that are more more attuned to that in their lives, I think it's more obvious. But it's also happening on a very subtle level as well. Right. Yeah, and difficult to kind of uh, recreate that, I'm sure. But you guys have made some interesting um, points in your paper including some different models that you use to try and apply a more scientific kind of approach to this. So would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about the SEER model and how this can serve to guide a company in the process of discovering their authentic purpose? Well, SEER is, uh, is a, um, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a bold 
thing uh, to think about because what it truly represents in, in my interpretation of it is that it, it creates a sustainable platform for a business to exist. And that may not be entirely possible all of the time, but mm -hmm. in an ideal state, uh, when you're utilizing resources and engaging people, uh, are those are the ways that the, those resources are engaged and people are connected? Uh, is that happening in a sustainable way? And uh, how close to a sustainable process can a company get in the way that they produce their goods and services? And uh, you know, it's there's a, a concept uh, known as cradle to cradle, uh, which is uh, a description of really the ideal state uh, and more of a mimicry of the way nature functions where everything is utilized and somehow it all returns back to become a, a resource to be used again and again. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it's sustainable and self-supporting. And the SEER model really takes a stab at addressing this and creating um, principles uh, based on social, environmental, ethical and financial uh, goals for an organization. So rather than a company going to business just to, just to make money, um, it attaches these other three principles to it uh, or values or, uh, or goals, however you want to sort of come at that. Um, and those four things become equal in, in the end um, vision of the, of the company. And mm -hmm. Uh, then in the practice of, of utilizing those four principles, it's really a balancing act. Sometimes you're going to have to compromise in one area in order to make a choice in another area. And uh, uh, it's an ongoing struggle to really manage that on an ongoing basis. But, um, but ultimately that uh, produces a, a company that's much more close to that uh, sustainable model than than a company that's maybe not uh, considering all four of these uh, elements in the structure of their organization and the vision of their organization. Just for listeners, um, there is a visual representation of the SEER model online uh, within the article, and you can again find that at gbr.pepperdine.edu. Let's pretend I'm a company and I've, you know, I've got what I believe to be my core values. How do you go about implementing these values and ensuring that the customer experiences them and interprets them the way that you envision them? Well, some companies uh, have a lot of these things that run in the background, and they are they are less obvious to the consumer in in that uh, you know at that transactional level or that branding and marketing level, and and the quest really is to bring those forward as much as possible, not as a, as a self-promotion, but really as a means to, to help engage a customer base in, in the same exercise. And the more that organizations uh, publicize or communicate their efforts, then the more awareness that happens within the public and, and with customers. And then customers are, are enabled uh, to make choices and participate along with these organizations and kind of vote with their dollars. And mm -hmm. uh, which, um, you know, I think being at Patagonia for years and years, it was interesting because, uh, and actually a friend of mine just sent me an article that uh, he found uh, that uh, Yvonne Chouinard published, uh, I don't know, it was years and years ago. It was, it was an article about why not to buy this shirt. 
and uh, Yvonne goes into a pretty good argument as to why customers should not buy products from Patagonia. And it's, uh, it's pretty counterintuitive, but it tells the, the story uh, about what it is that, that Patagonia is trying to do. It's trying to lessen the impact on the environment. And uh, the flip side of that argument is to say, well, if they weren't in business at all, then, then they wouldn't be you know, impacting the environment at all. And mm -hmm. the argument with that is really you know, the more market share that a company like Patagonia gains, the better off it is for the rest of the planet because people are going to buy those kind of products from somebody. And hopefully they're buying those products from somebody who is, uh, has an environmental awareness and, and is incorporating these kind of values and principles into their company so that ultimately we can get uh, to that place where organizations are running in that sustainable fashion. Mm -hmm. So uh, it seems counterintuitive on the, on the surface, but, uh, but ultimately the, the larger a company like Patagonia grows, the, the, better, the better it is sort of for everybody. So communicating that out to the customer then becomes pretty important because we're trying to rally an audience of people around an idea. And really, if we go back to that authentic purpose or that transcendent purpose, that's the idea that people resonate with. You know, that's the really, you know, buying a shirt or buying a jacket is, is you know, there are lots of reasons to do that and quality or or look, or style, or fashion, or whatever it might be. But ultimately, what I have found is that uh, companies that have a, a cause, or a purpose, or have a value set that is very well defined, and they live it uh, truly, customers will gravitate towards that because of that, that purpose connection. Mm -hmm. And so being able to manifest that into all of your communications and uh, being visible with your production process to expose the way that uh, your product's made and the efforts that you're taking is really, really important to, um, to not only uh, just get the message out there to the consumers, but really to build your customer base. And, of course, this is not something that happens overnight. Um, this is quite a process. Yeah, it can be, and it's, uh, and it's an ongoing thing, um, and it's... Uh, it's something that that uh, can be built in to a company if the company's not necessarily founded on those kind of principles. And uh, you know, after a period of time, the, whoever's in charge, the founders or the executive team, they decide that you know what, this is what we need to be doing as an organization. Uh, those pieces can be can be constructed. Or uh, and I guess that's why my title is my title is loyalty architect. We believe that you can architect it into that organization. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, loyalty is such a personal thing and it's such an elusive thing. You know, I think about my own buying habits and, you know, in today's world of all of these daily deals and <laughs> just growing options out there, it's really difficult to kind of establish that connection. So have you kind of come up with a process by which you can take a casual shopper, perhaps, you know, just a window shopper and turn them into an advocate for the company? Well, in this case, uh, and specific to this paper, we applied the, uh, the buyer's life cycle, uh, which is a model that tracks customers from the very first point of entry with a brand and, uh, and then follows their path 
uh, and the experiences that they have and what are the key milestones along that path to that point where they actually become advocates, where they are completely bought into what the company is doing and they're supportive of them and they're actually going out and advocating for that company. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and we call that the buyer's life cycle and it's a, it's a stepwise process. And um, we use the, this, this process to actually to create that architecture within the company so that, I mean, the, the, the end goal is the right message is in the right place at the right time. And mm -hmm. a message for an entry-level customer is, is very different from someone who has been buying for a period of time and understands what the key value set of the organization is and what the product and service experiences are like. Uh, mm -hmm. Most people need a very, very different kind of a relationship. And I think one of the mistakes that companies make is that they they look at their overall value proposition and say, you know, we're the best at this, or we're really, you know, we're really focused on this thing. And then they promote that, and they promote it over and over and over and over again. They may have uh, quite a a rich body of work kind of going on in the background uh, relative to the SEER model, or or to you know other aspects and attributes of a company, and. Uh, and they forget that really uh, it's, it's up to the customer to find out what those things are. And if they would uh, build in that mechanism of understanding what that very first time customer needs and then what a two or three time buyer, someone who's been around for a year or two and they've, they've had some customer ex service experiences and they've lived with the product for a little while, what's the next level of information that they need or mm -hmm. that they would really like to have uh, that would fulfill their curiosity about the company that would add texture and depth to the relationship. And then as they gain that, what, and, you know, in the final, in the final scenario when they are an advocate, how is it that you're helping them be an advocate? And uh, at Patagonia it was really interesting because we uh, started this campaign called Vote for the Environment. And, uh, you know, when environmental issues came up or different political leaders were, uh, were promoting environmental issues, then Patagonia stood behind those, those, uh, those causes and those people, and we engaged our customer base to participate. And so we would communicate out to the, those customers what was going on and what the possibilities mm -hmm. were and how they could participate. We even put letter writing campaigns together. We would email actually the form of the letter, and really all they had to do is sign it and send it. Mm -hmm. And those advocates really, really wanted that, and um, and we found uh, that 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 was a very important part in their in their ability to really um, have that transcendent purpose or that authentic purpose manifest in a real way. So here I am, I'm still an individual, but now I'm connected to this larger entity that is doing these things that I believe in, and they're enabling me to do them as well. And right. you don't want to necessarily do that with a first-time customer that just walked in a retail store because, you know, they're coming in for maybe a jacket to go hiking in. But uh, someone who's been engaged for a little while and, and gets really what the brand's about and what they stand for, and if, that, if that's meaningful to them as well, then that's when that relationship uh, takes on that, that greater depth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really great stuff. 
Cool. Well, um, maybe we could just conclude with some words of advice that you might have for businesses out there that are just starting out and trying to create a brand that customers connect with. Um, what would you? What are some of your key takeaways that that might help them through that path? Well, I think the the first thing is uh, is know your advocates. So if you're if you're a company that has has some customers and you've got some people that that seem to be fans of yours. Uh, the place that we start uh, is by talking to those customers. That's, that's the very first conversation that happens. And what we found is when we talk to these people, they, they have stories. They have stories about what their experience was like, first engaging with the company, and then what it was like to learn about it and get deeper into that relationship and become a regular buyer and a, possibly a participant in different activities that the company is putting on. And, with those stories, they're all very individualistic stories, but as we listen to all those different stories, what we've realized is that there are threads that are key milestones and key communications that happen that every one of those stories hold. And those are the key messages that we then pull out and say, okay, when we have a first-time customer, we need to make sure that they get this piece of information or they have this kind of an experience because that was the key experience that moved them our, our existing loyal customers to the next step. And then those people that are sort of in the middle that have been buying for a little while, but they're not really fully engaged, what is it that their experience are that, that would move them along? And by talking to your existing advocates, uh, you learn what those things are, and that's what you can architect back into the organization. I've always been pretty amazed at this process because once you do that, you accelerate that process, and you can build a loyal fan base much faster because you're not leaving it up to the consumer to dig and, and root around and, and accidentally or happenstance come across the information that is most important to them. You can really mine that and, and then uh, express it and get it in front of them. And then once they have that experience or they have that information in hand, they move along that path much quicker. So building your business from uh, maybe having a handful of advocates and having a lot of first-time customers and moving those people along so that you've got a whole, whole big stack of advocates out there driving your business, um, that's the process to doing that. And then, then referring back to the SEER model, um, you know, if you have a, a company then, and, uh, and you believe in something and you really have a core reason for being, uh, and, you know, it doesn't have to be such a lofty, thing as Patagonia's was. And when Patagonia started, it wasn't such a lofty thing necessarily. They were just trying to do the right thing, uh, what they thought was the right thing. And that has built into something much more established and significant. But whatever that, that real core reason for being is that drives the passion and, and the enthusiasm behind the organization, that is kind of that core piece that, uh, that needs to be communicated uh, to the customers. So make sure that that's well identified and clear at the outset. And, uh, and if you do have a body of, uh, of, or an audience of advocates that you can tap into and talk to and, and interview and get to understand what their path was, um, then that would be the, that's the secret. Whenever somebody comes to, comes to us as consultants and says, hey, I, I need a new website or I need a social media campaign or something that we always say, okay, well, we need to talk to your advocates because we need to know 
how those things fit into their lives, how they use them, how it facilitates the relationship. And then we can build the right kind of website or we can build the right kind of social media campaign or, or position the brand just a little bit differently so that it really is articulating that reason for being. Uh, and, then, uh, and then the rest is, uh, is kind of up to fate. You've got to have that on your side too, huh? There you go. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Craig. These are very valuable insights, and thank you so much for sharing your expertise with our our listeners. Yeah, it's been a a great experience. Uh, Writing the paper was really um, insightful for us as well, and uh, and, uh, it was fun talking about it. Yeah. Great. Well, be sure to check out that full-length article, Creating Advocates, a Values-Oriented Approach to Developing Brand Loyalty at gbr.pepperdine.edu. And thanks for tuning into this podcast of the Grad CDO Business Review.